Good morning, guys. It's threatening to rain today, so it's got that oppressive feeling. A couple days ago, I did, um, I found myself writing a post where I was talking about how behind I felt in my day. And then, as I was writing it, I found that the act of writing it helped me gain some perspective and and I was able to write a second part where I flipped the whole thing and talked about what I was grateful for or what the day had given me instead of how behind I was. And later on that day, I was telling uh, a friend of ours who is just starting out on Instagram that when I was starting out on Instagram, all I saw around me were people expressing the positive things in life, expressing gratitude uh, for what was going right. And that was what I felt like I had to do. And a little bit later on, I felt like I had grown enough that I could express the hard things. Um, Which, those of you who saw my post yesterday, uh, know that, you know, that's also powerful and important to do sometimes. But I felt like the, the post a couple days ago was really this sort of shift from either of those things to a new place of maturity with using social media where I was able to gain perspective for myself in the moment of the writing the thing. That in some ways, we were talking about how in some ways it's like journaling. I don't journal, but this is my impression that it it is helpful to do it because in the act of doing it, you come to conclusions you come to realizations that you wouldn't have had if you didn't do it. It's not that you have the realizations and you journal to write them down. It's that the act of doing the thing helps you. And honestly, that's what... uh, That's what I found that social media has become for me. I think so many times we are afraid to share the hard things because we worry about what our peers will think. Or, a lot of times we think about what our families will think. Um, Someone mentioned the other day that they had a long tirade that they were wanted to post and then they felt like it would be too much for their family and friends to read. And certainly when I posted my uh, post yesterday about being overwhelmed by the messy house, I came to bed and my wife said that she read the post right before she went to bed and and then lay awake worrying about me. Um, I I think I have the luxury of having my social media not... I definitely have family and friends that follow along, but it's not... That was never the core of, of... That was never the core of what it was there for or how it was created. So while I certainly have friendships now, um, it's not the people who I see day to day um, who are are on social media there with me. And so 
I feel relatively free from those constraints. But I think, I think a lot of times we put on a good front because we're worried what our mom will think, right? Or we're worried what our spouse will think. And, and those are very real concerns. I don't mean to dismiss them. Um, and I certainly find myself at times being careful how I word things because I don't want things to be misconstrued or ruffle feathers or, or anything like that. Um, but I also think that it is valuable to be able to speak your truth. Um, it's doubly valuable when you get people able to share their wisdom with you, and that's part of what happened yesterday, and for that I'm grateful. It's a good reminder that speaking your truth is only part of the process. The other part of the process is once you've spoken your truth is having the maturity to then do some work on yourself and on your own attitude uh, around it and to recognize what you can change and what you can't change and to make your peace with what you can't change. I think social media in general, the real power of social media is in this sort of sharing. It's in this sort of sharing that makes us more human to other people, not just sharing the things we like and not just sharing the things that are hard, but sharing them in a, in a mixture such that other people find common ground with us. And I think insofar as we limit our accounts to just the spoons we carve, insofar as we limit what we share to just the things that are related to what we think our community wants to hear from us, then we limit the upside for us. And I think what to share is going to differ from person to person. Right? We all have different lives, and we all have different things that we're willing to share, and we all have different ways in which we're willing to share, and we all have different advantages, things to lean into. Right? Uh, you know, your advantage might be where you live, and you can take stunning photographs of some windswept moor in. Scotland, and that's the thing that gets you the eyeballs, or your advantage, you might not have that, you might live in a city, and maybe your thing is like really cool graffiti, or maybe your thing is, you know, the flower farm you have, or maybe your thing is historical photographs of cool things, and then you share information about it. The point is not what is the thing, what is the advantage you have that's going to get you eyeballs. 
The point is, what do you do with that attention once you have it? And I think if you don't do anything to build an appreciation of people for you as a nuanced human being that has ups and downs, then you're squandering that potential. Because sooner or later you're going to want to pivot to something. And if you haven't... Oh, interesting, that oak tree is dead. Whoa! Just notice this giant oak tree is almost entirely dead. And it's going to come down on this power line at some point. That's crazy. So, if you don't build a rapport with your community by sharing stuff about yourself, not oversharing, but just the right amount, and you feel that out, it's different each day, then sooner or later, something's going to happen and you're going to wish that you had that rapport. Because you're going to realize that while people are coming to you for the cool historical photographs, they don't know anything about you. And they don't really care about you. at all because they don't know you they know your account and I think this is the mistake that people make is they build their accounts and they build their accounts and they build their accounts and they forget that unless that interest respect however you want to put it for the account translates into interest and respect and intrigue for you as a human being then sooner or later you're going to lose it. But if you can transfer it into you as a human being, and you work every day to be worthy of that respect and interest, then nothing can take that away from you. So... Wow, this went in a really different direction than I thought I was going to go. At any rate, I think also building on the back of the last couple days' podcasts, which have been about pricing, I think this is where I think this is where uh, this is the overlap between the two. So much of what we think about as pricing has to do with, you know, we think of what our time and materials are, we think of what our peers are, are charging, we think of what's the market that we're in, but we don't think about what's the value of the story that we're telling about ourselves. And how we can use that storytelling to drive business. In, com- in combination with the price we decide to put on our work. And I think this can work if you're increasing your prices. I think it can really work if you are decreasing your prices. But you've got to tell the story about why. I shared a story that somebody made about the podcast two days ago 
this young guy named Aaron Garrett. Um, lives in the UK, carves lovely spoons. And he has just done exactly what I described. He's lowered his spoon prices. And he's talked about it. The two go hand in hand. If you lower your spoon prices, but you don't talk about why you're lowering your spoon prices, then you're missing out on the opportunity for the storytelling. People who know me know that I'm almost more interested in the story something can afford me than I am in any other aspect of the thing. And when I'm making a decision, I make a decision based on what story that decision will allow me to tell. And so, I think there's a real play to be made where, especially as a a solo maker of stuff, it's not that you tell, I mean, in this case, I think Aaron was spot on to talk about why he was lowering his prices. But a lot of times, you don't have to talk about why your price is what it is all the time. My point is that the storytelling about your life goes hand in hand with the price. And a lot of times you, you really don't need to talk about it. Now, where this gets tricky is when people hear me say that and they think that this means that talking about their story as though they've got it all figured out and as though they have so much demand means helps justify a higher price. And I think that's where people get stuck. Is they think that, right, there's like the famous story of, you know, the object in a fancy wooden box commands a higher price than the object just by itself. And I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I think that's what people tell themselves when they're trying to convince themselves that a higher price is justified. I think... I think you use story... Your story... Turnaround time. I think you use your story to... to make people want a piece of you. And then the price, it's not that the story convinces people that the price is fair. That is the wrong way to think about it. It's that the story and the price match. The the story that people get from Um, paying attention to whatever you're putting out into the world and the price that you're asking for your thing feel like a match. That's when you get the sale. Right? So if the story that you're telling is I'm young, I'm just starting out, you know, I'm happy to do this for you immediately and your price is high, that's not a match. If the story you're telling is, I'm young, I'm just starting out, and my price is low, 
that's a match because people intuitively understand that when you're young and just starting out and you don't have so much demand that you have a long waiting list, then, then, then lower prices make sense. The only time when higher prices, higher than what somebody's sort of gut sense of what a fair price is, the only time when a higher price is a match is when somebody has obviously been in the game for a long time and has a lot of demand. So I probably get orders from people who would not consider spending $25 on a spoon normally, but they're happy to consider it from me. Ooh, are those oyster mushrooms? I believe they are. Sorry. But they're happy to consider it from me because they see that I have a lot of demand and that I'm clearly been doing this for a while. They see that as a match. Even if they aren't articulating it to themselves, it's a match. Now I could still tell a story that would lower my prices. You can always lower your prices. You could always raise your prices, but you can always harness the power of lowering your prices. Large brands do this all the time. somewhere else I was going with this. What was it? So I think... Mm, bear with me, guys. Let me just think for a second. There was somewhere I was going to go with this. Stories, prices being a match. Can't remember... Okay, well, I've talked for long enough. I think, I think one of the most powerful tools we have as makers trying to sell our stuff, whether we are trying to sell in person or not, is the story that people have about us. If you're trying to sell in person, it is harder to sell. It is, um, you still have to build that story. It's just built differently. Everyone knows the people at the farmer's market who have been there forever. And those are the people who get more, how to describe it, more street cred, more leeway to have higher prices because, because if they've been there forever and it seems like they are thriving, then they are thriving and that's the price that that that's then they then they are able to charge more they might still be charging less than someone just coming to a market and deciding to charge a lot for their stuff but at a farmer's market for instance where people come every week the OG at the farmer's market has a flexibility to what they can price things and just a knowledge of what they should price things at that the person fresh to the market doesn't necessarily have. If I was fresh to the market, I would be selling my things for dirt cheap 
if I plan to go to the market again. Because what you want is to get people to buy from you. Break that ice. That first impression that somebody has of you is incredibly powerful. If the first impression, that first time somebody sees you at a market is, wow, that stuff is expensive, they're never going to look at you again. So if I was going to a market, I would, and, I, and it was a long-term plan, I would plan on selling my things for the first couple of times for super cheap, ridiculously cheap, especially if I had a big backlog of stuff. And then I'd start raising my prices little bit by little bit. But only if I'd gotten traction with selling the things for super cheap. Because you want to get people to consider you at all. And many people will just put up a wall in their head if they see a price is higher than they're comfortable with and they don't have any other point of connection with you then that's it. It's over. And the same is true online. People will come and see your account and see what you charge and will by and large make a decision if you are for them. Right there on that first impression. It might take them months to become a customer just because the first time they see you, they're not necessarily in the market for anything. They don't have a graduation gift they need to give. They don't aren't in the position to think of buying a little something for themselves. You haven't become a part of their life yet. So it's not that they are going to necessarily come around to a sale or not right in that first impression but they are definitely getting a first impression of you and whether you're someone that they're going to buy from at all. Then, there comes the tricky thing, and I just got a second wind, so bear with me. This is going to be a longer podcast. Then there comes the tricky thing of, so they decide to buy something from you. They buy it from you. It arrives in the mail, Does it meet or exceed their expectations? I have bought many spoons before I got a spoon that exceeded my expectations. I bought spoons from famous people, famous within this scene. And much of the time, I was disappointed and thought, well, I've done that. I don't need to do that again. And in that respect, that was a squandered sale. I'm not going to recommend those people to anyone. I'm not going to buy from them again. And And a lot of it has to do with the price. So sometimes people, I think, can get 
stuck in a situation where because they have name recognition, they are able to charge a higher price. And then they charge the higher price, or for uh, any other number of reasons, they charge the higher price. And then because they charge the higher price, there's a mismatch of quality and price in the person's, in the owner's mind when they get the object. And that sale becomes a dead end. And you don't realize that sale is becoming a dead end because whatever your, your circumstances means that you are constantly getting an influx of new excited people to try your work. The problem with that is that is that how to describe it? The problem with that is that that system is brittle. That system is relying upon an ever-growing group of new people who want your work coming in and essentially having the same experience. And so not only do you need that growing number of people, but there are perhaps a growing number of people who have then had a disappointing experience with you. And that starts to weigh down your reputation, whether you realize it or not. Let's run the other scenario for a second. If you feel like... If you are getting a sizable number of repeat customers who are new, not just some core of people who continue to buy from you, but you get the sense that new customers come in and then 50% of them decide to buy from you again. So there is a new and expanding base of customers. That's an indication that your price and the quality of your work is a match in that customer's eyes. That they got the thing from you and they thought, wow, great. I'm so glad I spent this money. I'm going to spend more money. And that creates a growing balloon of reputation that's the opposite of the, of the growing deadweight of a, of a bad reputation that helps lift you up over time. Again, it starts slowly. You might not recognize it, but if you keep at it and you keep those variables in your favor, you end up with a growing reputation of this person's work is worth the money. That's it, I'm done. I suspect we'll talk more about this tomorrow. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk tomorrow.